Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. I couldn't be more thrilled to have our guest, Brian Nunez, with us today. As everyone knows, I've done a lot of shows on Pike Place Market. I fill the shows constantly with Seattle music. I've had a lot of the buskers that he just uh, featured in his documentary film on the on the show, and we're going to talk to him about that. He just made an amazing, award-winning documentary film on street music, specifically some musicians in Pike Place Market, and I'm really I, – I, Absolutely. It's just like Christmas for me to have Brian on the show. So thanks, Brian, for coming on. I just want to get right to it with you. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's so nice to hear. Thank you so much. Well, I, I saw the movie yesterday, and it was almost like watching a home video for me because I'm down at the market so much that you, you were able to capture really everything that's going on there. It's, it's a very hectic place to have to play. Um, if, if you're a musician on stage, and, and you kind of talked about this in the film some, you know, people have paid, they've come, they've settled in to kind of sit and listen to some music. But when you're a street performer, you're just very vulnerable. To me, it takes a ton of courage to go out there and, and put yourself out there, and people have all kinds of um, different ways that they think about street musicians. And um, yeah. Place market, they have some fantastic, and I'm sure all around the world they have fantastic musicians who are playing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, people do, like you said, make a lot of assumptions about street performers, and uh, they're often wrong about their assumptions. A lot of people assume that they're homeless. A lot of people assume they have no options other than playing on the street. They're kind of washed up. Um, you know, and, and not everybody thinks like that, but it's easy to think like that. And, you know, I, I always say that part of the reason is, in, from, in my opinion, from my perspective, we're in, a media, we're in such a media-driven culture. And when you think about America and, and our culture, we've had television for so long compared to, you know, I mean, I'm not sure when the first – you know, television show is broadcast, but for maybe 80 or 90 years, we've had television, maybe a little bit less than that. But, um, but, you know, we've just grown up with it. And you think about other cultures and other culture, you know, European cultures that have been around longer than us, they, they tend to, and things are, things are changing, but um, I've heard from buskers that they tend to respect buskers uh, much more quickly or much more readily than they do in the United States. I've heard from buskers who have uh, toured Europe that it was just a great experience. They they were offered dinner every night, and you know, um, people would stop and, and chat with them for hours in the street. And uh, it's just a different kind of vibe here in this country. And you know, you think about the fact that we drive cars everywhere, and we don't have that many pedestrian malls. And walking the street is a very novel thing in America. It's kind of like a touristy thing to do. And in a lot of countries in Europe, um, it's kind of the only way to get around. 
So it, it's it's you know there's a cultural difference, and um, it's it's kind of a shame because we're used to if we don't see somebody on television, it's kind of like they're not valid in in a lot of ways, and so we tend to take people's talent for granted that we might see on the street. And it's just a unique example of, um, of kind of where we put our attention as a culture, you know, how we value things and why we value one individual over another. And the answer I found was that it tends to be because we see them in a context that kind of elevates them. And when we see somebody on Conan O'Brien, it's immediately like, oh, you know, that's Alan Stone. He's on, he's on Conan O'Brien. Now he's somebody. And if you just saw him on the street every day, it would, you know, just a very different context and and um, they might not uh, have the same value that uh, they might have if, if they're on David Letterman. Well, and Alan Stone is a really good example of that. I've had Alan on the show and I mean, he is a phenomenal musician, but he's a little quirky. Yeah. And so, and I've met with Alan in, in real life and, you know, he's just a really laid back, chill guy. But yeah, if absolutely. you saw him on the street, you would, I, you know, all of our you know, stereotypes might fall into order um, mm-hmm. as we passed him by. But here he is, you know, now he's gone on. He's had amazing success. And, you know, mm-hmm. thank goodness that, that our, um, the, you know, assumptions and the way we think about people doesn't hold them back or nobody would ever get ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's totally true. I mean, it's, it's, it's you, you do kind of have to um, fight through the noise. And, you know, it's, and, and that was kind of what uh, drew me to the topic of busking. I mean, I, I busked briefly myself, not with music, but with uh, chalk art. I'm a, I, I started as a painter um, in, in kind of my artistic career as a painter. And uh, But the, with the musicians at the, at the market, it really struck me how they have to fight through the noise of the market and the, the energy and the focus required was really, uh, you know, amazing. And, uh, you know, that got me thinking about the whole subject. And, um, and it got me thinking about how it's, it's kind of a metaphor for all art, really, all artists fighting through this, the negativity, through the doubt, through the confusion, through the, the, um, the noise, uh, you know, and, and kind of putting themselves out there, slowly making a name for themselves and staying true to, to what they want to create and what they feel like they need to create, staying true to that create a vision, essentially, uh, despite everything else. And so to me, that's what busking is. is, is it's a very direct example of that. Well, and the market, Pike Market, has the, I would imagine, one of the most difficult places to play because, you know, like you said, um, just to kind of give everyone a visual, you know, millions mm-hmm. of people come through the market every every year, and the cruise ships get off, let everyone off every day at 11. Uh, the, the cruise ship, I think, starts sometime the end of April, and they leave in September. So during that window of, like, April to September is really when the most money is made because these cruise ships are letting thousands mm-hmm. of millions, probably, of people off right, really, right across the street from the market, and they rush. So if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know how a little town will go from, like, deserted to, like, <laughs> you can't get a seat in where when the cruise ships come in. And so they let off at Pike Market. So you got this sea of people, especially through the summer, and, you know, wanting to have the Pike 
market experience. And part of that experience is these musicians. And Pike Market really regulates them, and I think a lot of people don't know that. I think a lot of people think that these people just show up and play, but they don't. They have to have a license. Yeah. Um, There's uh, they only get to play for an hour, and they are told where to play, and then they get have to move on. Yeah, uh, you know the market does the market does regulate the um, in terms of um, you know kind of you can play multiple sets throughout the day, but uh, usually what ends up happening is the the spots kind of so there are a designated number of spots that you can play in and each spot can you can it set it'll they'll have a number so it'll say one or two or three and that designates how many performers can play on on in that spot at one time and um you're right they play for they have hour-long sets and they have to move on and but what ends up happening is the the buskers kind of regulate themselves and they'll they'll try and line up at as many spots as they can so it does get really competitive, and they, and they have to um, – some people get down there really early and, and will line up. And so you'll see these little um, – if you look closely, you'll see lists of names next to each spot, and those are buskers. And, uh, you know, usually it regulates, they regulate it pretty well themselves, but, the, you know, it is kind of like, oh, this, this person's new in town. Like, oh, no, you know, um, they, sometimes they'll, you'll, they'll try and crowd, crowd each other out of a spot or kind of, you know, stake their territory. So there is some regulation, but it's 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 um, there's not a lot of top-down regulation on a daily basis. So it does kind of create this interesting culture, subculture of the market, mm-hmm. uh, where because they know those spots are worth money. You know, some of them can make four hundred dollars in an hour. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's yeah. Yeah, there are hot spots like in front of the Starbucks store is a, is a you know yeah. oh my gosh that's just a ridiculous place. Um, you can go right around mm-hmm. the corner and get. Starbucks and not have to wait in line, but everybody wants to go to that Starbucks because it's the first, so it's kind of a hot place to play. What was your yeah. um, expectation going into this project, and what, what did you come out of it surprised about? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I got into it uh, with, I guess I, I got into it with high expectations in some, in some ways, but I really just started... Um, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to, to – the subject was really powerful for me. So I wasn't thinking too much about it at the beginning. I just wanted to – I just approached uh, different performers and asked them. I said, hey, I'm – and I, the way I approached it was, I am doing this. So I, I, I basically said, I am making a feature-length documentary film on the subject of busking. Because I had never seen a documentary about it before. You know, I, I had experienced it traveling through Colorado and Chicago a little bit. Um, and so it, it, you know, and that was like a two to three year period for me of traveling out of my van. And, uh, so I had a lot of direct experience with it and I had a lot of thoughts on the subject. And, um, so that really, you know, coalesced into this passion where I met, I met a producer here in Seattle and we kind of, uh, did some collaboration together. And so, and I studied film in college, but I'd never, um, pursued it full time. And so, the combination of, of meeting um, my producer friend and then buying my own equipment and bought a camera, and I just decided I, was, I needed to do this project. And so I approached it kind of a, a blank canvas, you know, as a blank canvas. I um, was kind of drawn to different performers for different reasons and uh, just started filming as much as I could. And, you know, um, I, would, I, would try, you know I would try and coordinate uh, with, with 
a musician, I'd say, hey, I'm going to be there at this time. Can we do some filming? And it's kind of like, well, good luck. I may or may not be there, you know, kind of a thing. So it really was a, an, an immersive experience. I would, I would be at the market for hours and hours. And, and um, you know, I was working on different projects here and there but uh, for money. But it was still – I was putting a lot of time and a lot of money and um, debt into the project just by – by you know my time and the equipment needed, and uh, and so I really immersed myself in the in the culture, um, and you know essentially this is my social life for for a good couple of years. You know I'd, I'd hang out with them; they're still my friends. Uh, many of them are still my friends, and uh, and so you know through the process I kind of got to thinking. You know, wow, gosh, if I could really finish, you know, if I can just finish this project, it'll be great, and everyone will love it, and it'll get out there, and and uh, you know, you really get humbled through the process and realize everything is is uh, is a uh, you know, it's you're like climbing a mountain. Every step is is um, takes effort, and so you kind of get in, you kind of realize that, and you know, you kind of suck it up. And when you want to quit, you know, I wanted to quit so many times and thought, like, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I even doing with this project? Just wasting time and money. But um, just kind of stuck with it. And, you know, I would get little nudges here and there from the universe. Like, I would have some random conversation with somebody about following your passion. And they were, you know, saying, like, you know, just got to stick with it. And just little reminders from the universe that it was a good something good to be doing, you know. And um, so, I, you know, I just kind of stuck with it. And... Uh, you know, coming out of it, it was, it was, I, I feel really lucky to have, to have gotten, I've got two interviews with musicians that are fairly well known and that know what it's like to play on the street. And so I felt really lucky to be able to uh, tell both sides of the story, essentially talking about fame and also, um, you know, talking to somebody who knows what fame is like and who also knows what it's like to be playing on the street for nobody who, um, who, is paying any attention to you. So I, I feel really, really lucky to have gotten um, to tell that side of the story. And to me, in some ways, that was success for me, was being able to tell the story I wanted to tell, which was to not just necessarily be a street doc, but also talk about, you know, make it a well-rounded, uh, informed piece about, you know, this experience of being heard in different environments and, and what that's like. So, yeah, I, I felt very lucky. Well, I feel really lucky that, that you've done it because um, buskers really bring this flavor to, to cities. And like you are saying earlier, around the world, it's, it's kind of a more elevated profession than it is here in the United States. So an awareness has to and it's, and it's building. And I think a lot of that building is coming right out of Seattle because Seattle does really um, I think maybe appreciate independent movement, maybe I don't want to say more so than anyone else, but we certainly tapped into that side of our spirit. And um, Seattle Parks has a busker, Seattle Parks buskers, and they're on Twitter, and they're trying to let everybody, you know, know where they're at so they can come out and hear great music. And Pike Market has Pike Market buskers on Twitter, and they'll tweet out and let people know, and the buskers independently will also do that. But, you know, we're really lucky to have that quality of, of talent for free, really, um, just as we are enjoying our parks or our streets or the Pike Market or something like that, and to have this, these talented people. I mean, Whitney Monjay is, you know, 
why there's no rhyme or reason we've been through this you know and beat this horse so many times on why somebody makes it and someone why someone doesn't because it really doesn't have to do with mm-hmm. talent because there's so much great talent Whitney was just another one um that you interviewed and played her music we'll play Whitney's music a little um on in the show but uh just she just has so much talent. She's down there every day at the market, just about. And um, and it's certainly not talent is is not the measure of becoming famous. Yeah, you know, and and absolutely. I mean, Whitney's extremely talented. Greg is extremely talented. Ron is extremely talented. I I love every every musician in mm-hmm. the film. And um, mm-hmm. and Emory is great. Mm-hmm. Emory is is incredible. Sadie. Uh, Sadie Ava, uh, Sadie Frank, it goes by Sadie Ava, who's doing her own, uh, she's in a new band now. But, um, you know, you think, you, you know, from, I guess, in my opinion, it has a lot to do with supply and demand combined with a likability factor. And, um, you know, some buskers, not necessarily musicians, but just buskers in general, really, really um, yearn for a certain lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that is really free from kind of the nuisance of having to deal with promoting yourself and deal with the logistics of becoming something. And, you know, people, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And Whitney's is, you know, her own producer. She, um, you know, especially... Uh, has it works really, really hard at promoting herself and, and kind of, you know, keeping it all together and, and presenting uh, a certain image and a certain package, which is kind of what you have to do. Um, but it's also supply and demand because you see musicians uh, kind of out there. Star Anne is a good example. I, I, there's a scene, there's footage in the film of, of me with Greg and Sadie and we're on tour um, doing a local regional tour and I'm filming them on tour and they're touring with Star Anna. They're opening for her. Um, Sadie's band is opening for Star Anna's band. And it was right before Star... I don't know if, you know, for people who don't know Star Anna, she's just kind of a... Um, she's regionally famous, and she's northwest, kind of California. I'm not sure all of where she's toured, but um, she's, she's getting some... Uh, she's got quite a following now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she she didn't play the streets. She... She, it's it's kind of this thing of building a hype, building a buzz. And so, you know, there is a, a strategy, a formula, and and it's 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 a little bit of supply and demand, you know, not giving yourself away, um, you know, kind of holding yourself back, just playing this venue, you know, oh, where can I see them, where can I see them? And it's like a kind of a limited, um, like, oh, well, you'll see them here, you'll see them here. And that kind of builds like a hype, a buzz about um, about artists. That kind of limited, uh, you know, limited supply, if you will. And um, and then finally they come out with an EP or something, you know, or a, or a full length album, and it's a big deal. So a lot of it, a lot of it, I would say, you know, seventy to ninety percent of it is is building the hype, building the buzz, having the, the having the product, having the talent, having the you know, having something really unique nobody's heard before or seen before, that's obviously the first step. That's, I mean, that's, that's, you know, finding out what you want to say as an artist is clearly the first step. I mean, you know, we can say that, that oh, you don't have to be talented, but you do have to have something you want to say if 
you're starting from a grassroots kind of place. Now, if you're starting from a, you know, you're, you know, you're singing somebody else's songs, you have a great voice, you have a great look, and you're singing somebody else's songs, and you have investors, you know, that's, that's kind of the traditional model, I guess, of, of getting notoriety. And that you, some people would say that's the LA way or the New York way. Um, but Seattle, <laughs> Seattle way seems to be that kind of grassroots uh, mm-hmm. following first. And so, um, you know, and, and, and performing on the street every day is, it, it does a little bit, um, you give yourself away. And, you know, and some people really, really just crave a certain lifestyle that is more free. And so that direct kind of experience of playing in public and then getting, you know, paid for it and then they can eat and pay rent or whatever, that's more attractive than getting themselves famous or getting themselves well-known so that people, millions of people download their music. So it, it takes a very particular mentality and different, you know, uh, you, you know, so it's, it's, it is a combination of things really that go into it. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, talent is not, is, you know, and it, it's, it's a small percentage in fact where talent equals success. I mean, that's a very small, it's a very mm-hmm. small percentage. It's 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 so many other things going into it, and you know, there's many many talented people, not many many talented bands you've never heard of, and who are who are not living off of their art. You know, they're doing something else to pay the bills, and it's it's all over the place. The majority of people, in fact, producing stuff in the world are not wealthy whatsoever. You know, they're it's you know. Maybe they're living on twenty to fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, I, I think the average salary in production is sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Like when you take everybody, you know, working in production, I guess if you're know, reporting on their taxes and uh, average it mm-hmm. out, it's like sixty-five thousand a year. So. Well, I was really surprised in the movie. One thing I didn't know, and I, I don't. I guess it just never came up in conversation, but um, Emery Carl, one of the uh, buskers that you portrayed, was, is a veteran, and he'd been in the Air Force mm-hmm. for many years, 10 years, I, I believe it was. And so um, that was uh, very enlightening to me, and I mm-hmm. certainly appreciate you know, Emery's service uh, to the United States as well as what he's doing down there, and, and he still has a service to humanity. And he actually, mm-hmm. um, Emery's really sensitive, I think, to the human condition and the human soul. And, uh, um, you know, he wants to do good in the world. And, um, mm-hmm. he, you know, and, and, and he is doing good down there at the market, but it's a tough place to do good in the world is, 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 is on the streets because it's, it's mm-hmm. so chaotic all of the time. But, but my heart kind of goes out for Emery, especially because he, uh, but, you know, every one of them were great in their own way. Sadie was great, and I really wanted her to make it. She was really young. You know, you really were pulling for her. Um, Johnny Hahn, another one, you know, he plays this piano beautifully, and he pushes the piano around the market. I mean, a full-size piano, yeah, and he's pushing it around the market. And people mm-hmm. ask him, why are you playing here? And he says, because I like it, but, which is, is, is very true. And, <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, you know, um, uh, Ron was really good. Ron Benoway was also really good place down there in the market. And, and, and to kind of know their mm-hmm. backstories, you know, makes you want to invest in them even more. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's another aspect of it is, you know, and, and a lot of people say that is I, I you know, oh, I've always been curious about about how they live and, you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it is, you know, it come to find out everyone, everyone I talk to has such an interesting story. You know, Greg at one time had a $100,000 record deal with a company in San Francisco with, for his band and, and they produced an album. Their music has been played on the BBC, PBS, um, uh, NBC play, broadcast, used one of their songs for a Michael Phelps, uh, interview segments or like a um, kind of right a during the Olympics, story right during the Olympics and and you know yet here he is and and um, busking is kind of his backup plan that he he never knew uh, existed until he came to Seattle he started busking in Seattle and um, yeah and then Ron owned two record stores you know was doing was 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 successful enough in that but wasn't quite happy or satisfied. And so, yeah, most well, everyone I interviewed um, was busking by choice. You know, uh, Greg Greg didn't have to busk. He could have he could have continued with his music and, and promoting himself, and you know, gotten another job or something. But um, he chose busking. And so, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's certainly you know, it's I think um, if people had less, uh, you know. Less like oh you know oh look at these poor people that have to play in the street kind of an attitude and more of just an appreciative attitude of um, mm-hmm. you know if there was less guilt surrounding street performers I think people would be able to appreciate them more because and there really shouldn't be guilt there really doesn't need to be guilt it's it's this person choosing to do this choosing to contribute in this way and you can you if you enjoy it. You should enjoy it, and if you don't enjoy it, you can move on. But it's not necessarily the begging aspect of it isn't necessary because most of them aren't begging. And Ron Benway would tell you, "I'm not begging. You know, this is this is my my this is my choice in life." And and so if you if I entertain you, that's that's what I'm going for, and that's great. But if I don't, please just you know move on, and it's not a there's no problem. So right, that's right. You know. And and you never know who you're going to find. I have talked with so many musicians. Most of them are all household names. And, you know, almost, I would say 99% of the time they have busk. I talked to a guy um, a couple weeks ago, and he said that he still busks time to time. In fact, uh, he, he had just recently taken his uh, guitar. He was in Nashville, and he'd taken his guitar and did some busking just because he wanted to tap into that you know, to, to that flavor, that feeling, he kind of felt like he was losing it again, and and he wanted to um, really start connecting with with the people in that way. And and he went down and busked for uh, bus for a for the weekend, and and he said it was one of the best things that he had ever done. And so, and, and he's on the national tour right now. So um, you never know mm. who you're going to see. And of course, Joshua Bell proved that again in in your movie. He'd been at, what was it, Carnegie Hall the night before or something, or Madison Square Garden, somewhere playing his violin, and then um, they put him down in the subways and everybody, it was a, you know, it was a a story that they were doing to see if people would notice him, and and they had him busking down in the the subways, and of course, hardly nobody did notice him, but you never know. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just never know, And, and even if they aren't someone now, these people are so talented, they could be someone you know, in the future, and their level of musicianship has really nothing to do with 
the level of accomplishment because you're going to hear some fantastic, probably some of the best music you'll, you'll ever hear regardless. You don't need the record company to tell you what's good. People know what's good. We don't, we don't need the record companies and yeah. radio stations to tell us. We know. We don't have to be spoon-fed. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's and that's a point that um Gene that Gene made in the in the film. Gene Weingarten wrote a um wrote an article on Joshua Bell. It was kind of his idea. He he um asked Joshua if he if he would do this experiment in the subway. And um yeah, he says he says in the film that he believes we suffer from uh sort of an intellectual cowardice when it comes to art. And, you know, you do see evidence of that in the art world and the, in the music world. You know, I, I'm not sure if this is good enough to talk about it, or I'm not sure this is good enough to take a risk on it. I'm not sure if this is good enough. And, you know, that happens at every level from the top, from the tippy top of A-list celebrity, um, you know, the A-list celebrity world all the way down to the bottom. It's, it's the risk factor is a huge, huge uh, component variable in in the game. You know, is is it how and and the gatekeepers, as they call, you know, which there are, are there, you know, they still exist. It's the people making decisions about money and and who gets signed and who you know who who do we invest in. You know, it's it's that thing of um, even though somebody can hear somebody and. You know, and you hear stories about, I, what was it recently, somebody, uh, I think it was Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, getting a rejection letter from Universal or some, some production company very early on in his career. It might not have been Kubrick, but it was somebody similar, um, I think it was. But, uh, you know, a very nice rejection letter. We just don't think, you know, your work is up to par yet and something like that. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, and so, and then they go on to, to, to do well for themselves. So, um you know yeah it's it's an interesting thing and and it's something that um will i don't will never change you know i don't think it'll ever change it's it's people you know there's i guess there's a certain type of person that 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 you know is uh, you know will hear about something and then kind of like jump on board with it like oh yeah this person's great um kind of uh will will always be following the pack and there's a certain kind of person who knows what they like, and they say, "Oh, wow, this is really good. I hope they make it." And then there's then there's the people making the decisions about, you know, who's going on Conan that night, and and you know, and so you know, it's all just a matter of, you know, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit of luck, a little bit of preparation, and um, and well, yeah. Like Oprah said, when preparation meets opportunity. But, yes, you know, yes, it's, absolutely. I, 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 I don't think that um, people, the, just regular folks like me and you and, you know, just, you know, regular people out there understand the power that they really have. And that if, and, and we saw it recently with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, they were really kind of a grassroots powerhouse that circumvented the label for a long time. Of course, they're signed now, but um, for, for a long time, they, they went around the label. But that came really from the power of the people. And, and we really do, whether it's in painting and art and sculpture or music or books or whatever, we really do have a voice. And they really are watching to see what we are watching and what we like and what we do. And, and I, I always just really wish that the people understood the amount of power that, that, that we do have to kind of drive things that we want to do instead of just letting 
sitting back and letting them, you know, tell us what we're going to like and what we're going to listen to and, you know, what's going to be popular for the week. Yep, absolutely. And things, you know, with the Internet, it is changing. It's it's definitely mm-hmm. changing because it's easier to publish now. And, you know, you, that's why you see someone like Justin Bieber, you know, it happening the way it happened. You know, it's not to say maybe he would have been discovered um, – you know, at some point, but the way it happened was, um, you know, and maybe it shouldn't have happened so quickly. So, you know, so so much success so quickly is not necessarily a good thing, as we are as we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, in terms of people uh, casting their vote as to what is good and what is not, the the control is slipping from the, you know, the kind of uh, you know the the Television is this is this uh, a gateway to, to to access new things, right? And and so is radio, and so those for so long those have been the two gateways. You know, you hear something on the radio, you see something on television. So the people deciding what goes on there, they hold, they have that hold huge sway, right? And so it's it is changing, and people are able to cast their vote um, just by you know consuming it through the internet now. Um, uh, but there is still that that uh, you know that factor of of somebody investing in you as an artist. You know, artists mm-hmm. are still looking for that. They're still looking mm-hmm. for that because it's so hard to be doing everything yourself. And somebody coming along and saying, "Look, I think you're worth taking a risk on," is huge validation. And so that's why. Um, the record companies and labels and, and um, you know, distribution companies still have power because they have, uh, they've been doing it for so long and, and, you know, but ultimately I think most artists are just looking for help and looking for uh, validation and, and someone to say, look, yeah, you know, you are worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, your film is being very well received. Every film festival is crowning it something. It's getting award after award. So, so the response has been very positive. Talk about validation. Um, it, it, it seems like you're getting a lot of validation from from the people who are going to the movie and really enjoying it. You know, every audience I've shown it to has has responded well. Um, you know, it's it's. It's it's great to hear you say that because there's there's sort of the top tier of festivals that everyone strives to Sundance and the Tribeca and even SIF you know and they all kind of turned it down uh, for one reason or another you know those are very very competitive um, festivals and and it's and it's it's uh, you know in in your in your artist mind you think well yeah it's got to be you know the greatest thing ever and everyone want you know of course Sundance is going to want it. And so, you know, it's one it's another one of those things. It's just another kind of like you got to you got to realize like, you know, because you just got to be happy with your own work. And and that's and and part of it is saying like, well, wait, gosh, I, they didn't want it. Like, why is that? But um, you know, if you just could keep things in perspective and realize that there's thousands and thousands of filmmakers that are submitting films there and there's a variety of reasons why things get chosen and just kind of um you know, I I believe in the film. I believe in in you know the message of what I was trying to communicate, and that's really the most important thing is that I I I feel like I accomplished what I wanted to communicate, and and that was quite an effort to kind of pull everything together in the way that um, in a way that did that, and so 
you know, everything else, I, you know, you really, really have to say, like, okay, it is what it is, it is what it is, you know, every rejection letter you get. And, yeah, it, it's um, the positive, the acceptance letters are, are great. And so I'm, I'm getting a few of those now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll be premiering at the um, the CBGB Music Festival in New York. We're having, having our New York premiere um, sometime between October 9th and the 12th. And it's the third annual CBGB Music Festival. Last year, um, they said they had uh, over a million people attend different performances. They Essentially, they shut down Times Square as their main stage. And mm-hmm. so they have like uh, six blocks or something of, of, of festival for four days or five days. And um, so it's, a, it's pretty exciting for us. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. And we're working out... Uh, where the film, the venue for the film, but apparently they show films throughout Manhattan and uh, and it should be really fun. Oh, definitely, definitely, and it is. CBGB is a is a huge um, is a huge festival. I did a show on that last year, and there's some huge names going to that. People can go to findyourwayfilm.com and find out how to get yep. it to be able to see in their area. And then, is it going to be on iTunes in the future as well? Yeah, it, it, the plan right now is to um, uh, to release on iTunes in the fall. Um, now that uh, we if we if we find a partner to release with, um, then it might be delayed a little bit. But uh, right now it's available for theatrical screenings through a, an online service called Tug. Tug.com. You can uh, find out more information about that. But people um, essentially what it is is theater on demand, which is kind of a new thing that's emerging. So it's theaters around the country that um, kind of have extra space available in their in their schedule can um, fill that with tug screenings and and you know it's you can play at Seattle they have an AMC downtown that you can you can use they have the Harvard Exit which is a great theater kind of a historic theater and Sif Uptown um, so there's excuse me there are these great theaters that um, you can screen your film in but it's kind of a kind of a Kickstarter thing so you uh, you have to sell a certain number of tickets for the screening to happen and if you don't then everyone gets their money back and, and it doesn't happen so it's a, it's a crowdfunding hmm. it's a um, grassroots kind of a thing and so each screening is kind of a grassroots thing so it's got to have the support in the area and kind of a word-of-mouth support so it's, it's kind of fun and that's kind of that's yeah uh, that's where it's available right now and then it'll be online um, later in the year or maybe early next year. Okay. So people can go to findyourwayfilm.com, request it in your area, see if you can get people to come out and support it through the tug.com process and support great music and and wonderful people trying to make a difference in the world and and show you some good that's going on. I'm really just thrilled, Brian, that you were able to come on. And again, this is an award-winning film. It's getting a lot of buzz everywhere it goes, and it's winning awards because it's good. I thought yesterday it was fantastic. And I really want to get everybody that I know out to see it. You know, it's just one of those things. When but when you find something you really like, whether it's a book or a you know or a song or a place to eat or whatever, you just want to tell people about it. You know, you're like, hey, I you know I I, I went here and it was really great. I saw this and it was really good. In fact, my brother just texted me his lunch a little while ago because he was so excited about it. He wanted me to see it. You know, and then that's how I feel with mm. the film. I'm like, I want everybody to see it. You know, I want to text it to people and say, you guys really need to see this film. And so that's that's why I'm I'm, I'm happy we can do the show and you know you're getting a lot of press on it and and uh, you can't get enough as far as I'm concerned 
So I really appreciate you taking the time oh, to wow. come on. Oh, thank you so much. That's so great to hear. Well, we're going to play out to Whitney Monjay's crash, and Whitney is one of the buskers that plays down at Pike Market. If you are there, you will see her, I'm sure, and she's heavily featured, um, as are uh, several others in Brian's film, Find Your Way, and I'll be right back.
Well, that's our show. We would like to thank our listeners, our guests, and, of course, our sponsor, Audible.com. We've included an easy one-click link to Audible.com where you can just go and browse and check out and see if catching up on your reading is right for you through an audiobook. The first book is free. doesn't cost anything to check it out. So check it out. Get back with us. Let us know what you think. And be sure to also check out NorthwestPrime.com for this interview and other great interviews that we've had with numerous celebrities and other entertainers in the past. Thanks and have a great day. A big part of it for me 